0: Hey, hey, hey! Welcome to Breakfast with an Alcoholic. I'm Randall, your alcoholic host, and I'm very glad you're here. We're kicking off 2023 and Season 2 of Breakfast with an Alcoholic, and we're doing it with a real bang. We get to talk with noted author, well-known alcoholic, and all-around great guy, John West. He's written a fabulous book called Lessons and Carols. We talk about that, of course, the power of ritual and sobriety, and his favorite alcoholic in history. Oh, and of course, the Alcoholic Lightning Round is great. That's all coming up next on Breakfast with an Alcoholic. Run, get your coffee, it's starting. Well, John West, welcome to Breakfast with an Alcoholic. Thank you, it's it's nice to be here. It is so great to have you here. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure, Um, so I'm John, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I'm also a writer and technologist. I've worked in journalism for the last decade or so, and my kind of thing is to use software to hard, to solve hard journalistic problems. Um, and so my work has won a bunch of awards. I was a finalist for a Pulitzer, but I also wrote a book called Lessons and Carols, which is like an essay or a memoir about addiction and ritual in my life. Um, and I live in the Hudson Valley with my partner and uh, my daughter.
0: And it is that fantastic book, Lessons and Carols, that brings you here today. Um, I was lucky enough to get to read a copy of it and also lucky enough to get an actual copy of it um, <laughs> when I got contacted by your publisher. And she said something like, would you like a copy? And I was like, sure, I'd love a copy of the book. And she wrote back and like like a real copy of the book, and I was like, "Yeah, I, I would love it."
1: And then I was like, "Oh, did I just blow this <laughs> oh, out of? They call them advanced reader copies or arcs. We're now out of them because we've been sending them so many places, which is great. But um, but you you got in just under the wire, I think, because now everyone gets a digital copy. Well, um, I'm
0: super excited that I got one of the old ones because I have like a I have a budding library of what I refer to as alcoholic literature. So. <laughs> I don't think it's a recognized Dewey Decimal Dewey Decimal System category yet, but you know, give me give me time. It's, small. it's good to have a project. Anyway, your book Lessons in Carols comes out soon, right?
1: Yeah, May second.
0: May second, it, and it's fantastic. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the book and when you started writing it?
1: Yeah, so I started writing seven years ago, and I mean, for context, I'm. In February, God willing, I will have 11 years sober. So I started oh, writing wow, when I was about four years sober thereabouts. Um, I, I went to I got my MFA at Bennington College in Vermont, and I wasn't sure what I was going to write about. Um, I knew I wanted to write about the internet. That was my, my my thing was I wanted to write about the internet was what I was thinking I was going to write about. And I wrote something kind of just because you need to write something every month uh, at this program. And I wrote something kind of about alcoholism and and my own story. And my advisor, who is Susan Cheever, who notably wrote um, wrote a bi- biography of Bill Wilson and also a book on drinking in America, I mean, she's a real scholar of kind of AA and, and drinking here, um, she read it and she was like, well, this is way more interesting, so you should write about that. And, that, you know, it's it's not clear to me whether or not she just thought it was more interesting or if it was in fact more interesting, but I took her advice to heart and uh, and did write, kind of honed in on that as what I was going to be writing about, and... Yeah, so for seven years I wrote a book about addiction, mental health. Um, it, it includes kind of stuff about people who I know who either passed away or kind of disappeared into their addictions um, uh, since I've gotten sober. Uh, it includes a lot of stuff about raising my daughter, which has been a real privilege to, to be able to do, but also like has has really pushed a lot of buttons that I didn't know existed around, you know, how do I care for another person when I can barely care for myself? And, you know, it's a kind of a cudgel that a lot of my... Um, resentments can can be placed up into Uh, so that's a a mixed metaphor but uh, it's a cudgel that I (laughs) that I use against myself and it's a way to resent myself and resent things Uh, and so that's been a real challenge but also a really beautiful part of my life has been raising my daughter and so the book is about that as well.
0: One of the things that immediately struck me about the book and and one of the one of the beautiful things about it is the structure itself and the the title lessons and carols is a reference to a format for a service that's typically done, you know, I think it goes back to the Anglican church, you know, around Christmas is the antecedent for it. And it's a beautiful service, right? It's, it's a series of songs punctuated by readings from the Christmas story and Isaiah and Luke. And it's kind of a, you know, a a set thing, election, set lectionary, but it's a beautiful, beautiful service. Yeah. And that's the title and that's how you've organized it, which struck me right away. Yeah. Um how how did you come to see your life that way?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I grew up I grew up in a in a church that was deeply skeptical of uh its own uh literalism, I guess, you know. <laughs> I grew up in a very kind of hippy dippy uh church. But what was what was interesting about that church was that they had they had adopted the pageantry of a much more uh, orthodox view of religion, so they had these amazing musicians. They had these, you know, the organist choirmaster Philip Brunellis is kind of famous organist, and they put on these amazing productions of you know, of the nine lessons and carols. Actually, there was only five at my church, but sure, but they did five lessons and carols at, at my church, and I remember, you know, that was. Uh, The pageantry of it was so amazing and moving, even without, even kind of divorced from some of the more hardline aspects of what you might imagine a a kind of Christian church to be. Um, And I, you know, I loved it. And at one point in college, when I was, I, I got sober, went back to college, and that second time around. Um, I decided I really wanted to recreate that feeling. Um, it was the depths of winter. It was kind of miserable. We were about to go through the first semester of finals. First semester finals, and I said, "Let's let's put on a Lessons and Carols." And my friends were like, "What are you talking about?" And I said, "Oh, you, you don't know you don't Lessons and Carols? It's an amazing thing, you know." And I uh, so we we did it, uh, and I wrote a little play version of the readings instead of just straight up readings. We would all have parts, and uh, and it was a lot of fun. I I did that. With one exception every year since since then so it 's been over a decade of lessons and carols that 's been kind of the ordering structure of my winters has been doing lessons and carols and it, it made sense as an ordering structure for my book as well you know in John they say and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and and that idea of like a word the words becoming something somehow meaningful and and tangible in real life uh, is I think really beautiful, and I think like it's it 's my recovery story of like the words that I say that have no meaning at first I, you know my sponsor says get down your knees and pray I get down on my knees and pray it doesn't mean anything and then at some point it becomes real in my life and, and meaningful in my life um, and I don't know what else to call that except some kind of magic or miracle um, that that the things that we do these rituals we enact end up becoming uh, feeling very real and tangible in our lives.
0: Yeah, that that is a, a magical thing. And I completely agree that it's found in the words. And I, I'm not quite sure how that works, but it works. <laughs> you know, for me, I, I think I really didn't get it and didn't internalize it, whatever whatever the it is. Um until I started like reading the big book aloud. Like once those words kind of take hold in your head, like they're real.
1: Yeah, one of my favorite memories is the second time I got sober, <laughs> I relapsed <laughs> uh, and then I got sober again. And my my favorite part about the and I, you know and, and, and to be clear, I think that I did have some good sobriety in my first go round, and then I I let go of that and and lost it. But um, but the second time. You know, I had this amazing sponsor, and we would sit outside. It was summer in Minneapolis, so it was a beautiful... Summer in Minneapolis is an amazing time because everyone's out. Everyone knows that winter is just around the corner and so wants to get in as much sunlight as possible before that happens. So summer in Minneapolis. You know, I'm living with my sister, and we're, you know, we're reconnecting, and it's everything. I'm biking around everywhere because I don't have a car, and it's just it's just a wonderful time. And I, uh, I meet my sponsor, you know, a couple times a week at a coffee shop, and we just sit outside in the sun and i read out loud the big book to him and stop when i have questions and that experience has really stuck with me as being kind of some of the best some of the best moments of my kind of in practice recovery like you know engaging with the text have been have been that was that experience um and uh and you know he was i thought he's i still think he's a really wise wise person and has a lot to say but also like very human to me it was it was just a really wonderful it's a really wonderful time uh, in my life. Yeah.
0: Well, okay, with that in mind, I am gonna ask you to read something from the book. But but while you look for yours and the page says prologue, is it okay if I read this?
1: I love that. Yeah. Thank you.
0: The past unfolds into the present like a flower opening its petals, revealing its gold dusted center. Like in the beginning was the word. And then suddenly, a baby is born in a stable. And then the beginning's meaning arrives, pollen born on a bee's body. At night, when the flowers in my yard cover their faces, while the moon gilds them silver, nothing exactly changes. Except the past promises tomorrow instead of today. I walk out of the psychiatric ward two weeks before Christmas. In the parking lot, the waning moon looks for a place to hide from the mid-morning sun, brightening piles of half-melted snow. In the car on the way home, I make myself a deal. No, I never have to put myself back there, in writing or in life. Yes, I have to get better. I I thought that was stunning. Thank you. Like I get, I get moved just reading it again, and I've read it like ten, ten, ten times. So I didn't get emotional. <laughs> I, I, I just think that's fantastic.
1: Thanks, thanks. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I um it's, it's funny. I didn't have a prologue, and 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 the publisher actually had me write one. So that was the last thing I wrote uh, before uh, in in the book. And I kind of, you know, I. I maybe you'll relate to this. I really resented being told that I had to add something to my book, you know, and I resented all the edits that I got. And at one point, I just remember thinking like, okay, well, this is, you've had your fun having your party of like, I'm not going to do it. Like, what, what are they actually trying to say and how is this going to make book better? And lo and behold, th- they made the book a lot better. Um, so, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes people know what they're doing. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, it's so weird. A professional editor tells you what to do and you're like, oh, God, how dare they, you know? But, uh, yeah
0: Uh, that's a frustrating discovery for us alcoholics (laughs) Um, well so okay
1: tell us a little bit
0: about uh, your uh, your sobriety and your drinking career how did how did you start and and what got you out
1: sure yeah so you know I I started when I was a teenager I don't I don't remember my first drink per se but I do remember my first drunk Um, and I think that that experience was like a little kind of in miniature version of my entire drinking career which was I was at a a family member's wedding, um, my uncle and, uh, and I was in the wedding party. I don't really remember why, but I was in the wedding party for some reason. And it was an Orthodox wedding. He was marrying someone who was Orthodox. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and there were, there's the Cavalier and the Virgin was important parts of the wedding ceremony. Uh, and I was the Cavalier and there was someone from the bride's family who was the Virgin, you know, and I was like 14 or something like that. And, uh, and I was very awkward, and I, I didn't know what my place was in this situation. I didn't know what to do. And the, the whole day before the wedding, we're all drinking uh, because that's what we were doing the, before the wedding. And I, of course, have I'm a total lightweight at that time, and so I get super drunk because I'm trying to keep pace with all these people and uh and then I feel amazing, and it was this real moment of like wow, this is like this is who I was meant to be, this person who can talk and you know flirting with the with the with the girl who's playing the virgin, and like it was this whole like we were having this great time, and then we get to the actual ceremony and i'm I'm starting to pass out holding this giant candle, and the wax is dripping in my hair, and I'm so embarrassed because i I can't like I can barely stay upright, you know. Uh, and everyone's kind of laughing at me and I feel horribly embarrassed and so then we go to the reception and I drink some more and the, the shame just vanishes you know I feel immediately better like I'm on top of the world again and ha 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 that was such a funny story that happened and I'll remember it for the rest of my life as this funny thing um, and I, I do remember it as a funny thing now but I also think it was really a perfect summation of what my drinking career was like um, and and it really did kick off from there I mean I, I, I was like I need to have that feeling as much as possible Right away. Um, and so, you know, from there it was uh, stealing booze from my parents, making friends with people who could get me booze, drinking virtually every night for the next several years. Um, I was not a day drinker until college, but, but I, you know, drinking virtually every night by myself most of the time and feeling, feeling that feeling. Like I knew at some level that I had a problem very quickly. Um, that like this was not an acceptable kind of way to, refashioned my life you know using using alcohol was not an acceptable way to refashion my life and yet uh and yet and so i knew that at some level but at another level i was like what like why like why are you mad like look at me i'm I'm great <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like like even as i'm flunking classes even as i'm you know saying and doing all sorts of stuff that i'm really ashamed of you know i was really ashamed about the time like the, that that sense of like still but why i'm doing great you know was was also present okay. and that kind of Double life uh, that that you know was was being led, not just in actions but in kind of feelings as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, all right. So, how
1: did you get sober? Sure. Yeah. So, I am um, the college requested that I meet with. Uh, that I go to a meeting. Uh, the, the, well, first they requested I meet with a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist said, "Hey, there's this thing. You should go to this meeting." He gave me a time. I went. And you know it was it was my first AA meeting, and I had no—I mean, I think I you know had maybe heard of AA through kind of cultural osmosis, but hadn't really thought about it, given it much thought. Um, and I go to this meeting. It's—I can't remember if it's actually a men's meeting or if just everyone was a was a man, but it might have been a men's meeting, which um, I proved it's proved to be something I really liked in recovery too. Is I go to men's meetings normally, but. Um, yeah, so I go to this meeting, uh, there are a bunch of people there from, from all across the college, it was a college meeting, and so you had professors, you had students, you had fa- staff members, they were all in this room together, and we we sit down, and they read the promises, and I think that is the most beautiful, like, they get to, we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it, and I think that is one of the most beautiful lines I've ever heard, and I start crying, and it's this big emotional moment for me, and then that night I go home and get drunk. Uh, but that was that was like the that was the turning point I think in a lot of ways was that that meeting and and seeing that there were these people who were living this life so different and yet so similar to my own um, you know just like one one track jumped from my life um, I wanted to, to kill myself I remember that very clearly at the time I was very depressed uh, and I finally I called my mom and my dad and I said I, I think I have a problem with drinking. And they, they got a rehab. They found a rehab in, in Minneapolis, and I went to that rehab. Um, and that was how I got sober the first time. Um, and I, you know, I, at the rehab, I, I went there. I, there was a halfway house after and a, a sober house, and I got a sponsor who was great. And I, you know, f- we did the steps together. Um, and that was, that was how I got sober the first time. Yeah.
0: You start writing the book about four years um, into your recovery you want to do you want to read us a snippet
1: yeah I love to yeah so um, the book is written in these little fragments um, and I didn't know exactly what to read so I'm going to read two little fragments they're they're both okay. pretty short um, so and this is from pretty much the dead middle of my book the poet Robert Lowell left his second wife Elizabeth Hardwick and their daughter for a younger woman he took the letters Hardwick wrote him begging him to come back changed a few words and jammed them and published them in his book The Dolphin "'The Dolphin was his nickname for his third wife. "'Elizabeth Bishop, appalled, scolded Lowell in a letter. "'But art just isn't worth that much. "'I know art isn't worth that much, "'but sometimes I envy Lowell's willingness to give everything up, "'even human decency, to whatever strange version of art he believed in, "'to a cause greater than himself. "'I sometimes fear we're almost the same, though I'm no poet. Two men, minds aflame, alone in private clearings of charred twigs, "'ash adrift on the air, wondering where all the birds went.' A and I drive back from a cabin in Wisconsin, a little weekend jaunt. We laugh and listen to Nina Simone in the car. We drink 8 p.m. espresso at a shop where Chairman Mao wears Mickey Mouse ears. Then, sitting side by side on the porch of her sober house in green plastic lawn chairs, we talk about each other, about us. I can't give you any more, she says. I don't look at her face directly. I look at its reflection in the window. The thick white paint on the sill peels with imperceptible slowness while she reads me a poem she wrote about birds. It is beautiful, and I'm struck, suddenly, by the truth of this moment. It's true that we're best friends. It's true that her poem is beautiful. But though Keats said some wild shit about beauty and truth, we know better. Neither one requires the other, and even if beauty is truth, truth, truth-beauty, well, art just isn't worth that much. A wants to be just A, the true A. I want to be the true me, too, I suppose. But Keats wasn't all wrong. It's better to say that truth, not beauty, is in the eye of the beholder, it's better to say that beauty, not truth, will out if you work for it.
0: Wow. One of the things that I think you write about really movingly are rituals. And of course, the lessons in Carol's format is itself kind of a ritualistic yeah. worship format around Christmas, uh, which itself is a ritual. Um, and your reenactment is a ritualization of the ritual, I, I, I thought that was a really interesting approach. But ritual is obviously important to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I think an AA meeting, one of the comforts of it, at least now, I'll, you know, often I was like, I'll go. And, you know, is, sometimes sometimes you go to a meeting and people aren't saying stuff that really resonates with you, at least with me. You know, like, I'll go to a meeting and every once in a while I'll go to a meeting and I'm like, oh, it's kind of a dud. But, the, you know, the, 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 the ritual aspect of it still has meaning even in you know even if you even if everyone sat in silence for for 50 minutes or whatever but like if you, you you do the prayer at the beginning you go around you say your name you say you're an alcoholic you all the little aspects of it build up to something really meaningful and beautiful and i think that like ritual is this immensely powerful tool we have um, in our lives as humans it's almost like a technology we can employ and like many technologies, it can be employed for all sorts of things, both good and bad. You know, I think about like the rituals I had around drinking and they were really important and meaningful to me. And I think they, they built a connection with 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 my drunk self that I that I needed in order to keep drinking. I think if I didn't have little rituals around drinking, I don't think I would have loved it as much as I did for as long as I did. Um, and And I think that you, and I, I think that the same thing is true of recovery that we we have to build we have to point rituals at the right things and that that like that uh, and, and the big book is full of rituals that we do you know the the morning meditation the, you know it 's full of things that we just do and and you do them over and over again, and in the act of doing them over and over again, they take on and accrue new meanings and and new new ways of of, of helping you. Um, and I think that, like, that 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 to me is something that I think a lot about, is, like, we should be really—in I in my life, I want to be more um, upfront about the ways ritual has helped me, and I also want to be more more thoughtful about employing ritual when I really need to heighten the utility of, of some action in my life.
0: You know, when you think about it, rituals are—I don't know if it's right to say a form of communication, but there's some— communicative aspect to a ritual right you're yeah. you're making a sacrifice to a deity right like yeah. hey you know i'm sorry we have that up i'll <laughs> hoping this squares things um but it, it is important to know like who you're praying to right, right. right. And, and and what you're praying about and i right. the same way like yeah. the the ritual behind drinking was unbelievably fantastic and powerful
1: yeah
0: um the anticipation was yeah. unbelievably powerful, um, and you just have to, I guess, direct it in a different way.
1: Yeah, yeah. A lot of, a lot of times, the people in AA who I think are working the strongest programs have some of the more strenuous rituals, uh, you know, that I've seen. It's, it's, and that's not to say there can't be flexibility in, in your life, but like, you know, you, you, know, when I talk to old timers who have been sober you know, decades and decades, it's like, oftentimes they're like, yeah, I still pray every morning. I still, I still get on my knees and do this thing. And I, and I, I like reading from this book, but not this one. You know, they have real preferences about their, their rituals in the mornings or their rituals in the nights or their rituals during the day that they do. I I go to my two meetings a week and I never miss them. You know, it's, it's this real, like, you know, and these old timers, they have something going on and they must. So, you know, like, I think there's something to learn from that, that not rigidity, but like. Feeling like the fullness with which they fill their lives um, with these rituals, as alcoholics, we have a really fortunate need to to not be God and to 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 fill that that space that we were occupying with something that does have power. And I think that like that, humans are pretty good at it. And we have a lot of we have a lot of examples in the world. And I think that like for me, humbling myself and being like I don't have the I don't have to come up with an entirely new um, regime of like higher powers. There, there, there are there are some higher powers in the world, you know, and like, and there are ways of structuring your life and rituals that you can enact that call on those higher powers that I don't need to recreate. I can just I can find ones that feel good for me in the world and enact and, and those. Um, had, was a real gift, um, and it was hard. I think I really wanted early on to be like, well, maybe I'll be a Buddhist and. But, like, not that kind of Buddhist, this kind of Buddhist, but, like, with this kind of, you know, like, you can really, like, get down a rabbit hole of, like, of, like, the ways you're going to do it and why your higher power, your conception of your higher power is better than everyone else's. And it can be another vehicle, but, like, for, for that kind of thinking. Um, but just humbling myself and being like, you know, I'm just going to not think about it too hard, but, like, but enact the rituals that, that, that feel meaningful to me. Like, not think about, not think about it too hard in the sense that, like, I'm not, I'm not going to, Come up with some schema, some taxonomy of my higher powers, traits, and attributes. Instead, I'm going to do these rituals, and trust that in doing the rituals, I will become closer to whatever I will come closer to whatever that thing is that's out there that I'm maybe not willing to or unable to define uh, super clearly.
0: Yeah, you you say a lot of interesting things there. I, I think for for me speaking, for my alcoholic self. I I never believed I was God. I always believed that there was a higher power than myself, but I envisioned God a lot like a junior high principal (laughs) who had kind of an ineffective vice principal and didn't really care that much. And at some level kind of thought it was a little bit funny (laughs) uh, and was willing to let things slide. I think that was kind of my conception of, of God. Yeah, um, And then there was a fair amount of ego involved in why God would tolerate all this nonsense, you know, and right. be like, well, like, wh- wh- why is it he's, like, willing to laugh at this again? Yeah, uh, And then you realize, well, no, he's actually not laughing at all. <laughs> 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 like, actually, no one really thought it was very funny ever. <laughs> um, all right, John, I hope that you're strapped in somewhere secure because... <laughs> It's time now for the Alcoholic Lightning Round. I don't know why you're laughing. It's time for the (laughs) Alcoholic Lightning Round. You laugh now. We'll see who's laughing at the end of this. Uh, I think you know the premise. Uh, We're going to put time on the clock. You know, I'm a believer that there are such things as stupid questions, and there definitely are wrong answers. So... um, (laughs) Just be warned, uh, <laughs> this is not a judgment-free zone. That's the whole point fair of enough, Fair so enough, fair anyway, enough. So yeah. anyway, we're putting time on the clock. Are you ready? I'm ready. Superpower, if you had one.
1: Uh, okay, Ideal superpower would be like the stretchy arms from The Woman in the Incredibles. But the likeliest one, I think, is like mind reading, but I'm half wrong, and I don't know which half. <laughs>
0: That's uh, a medium power, not a superpower. <laughs> a song you listen to a lot, but have previously been embarrassed to tell people about.
1: Uh, a lot of songs by Radiohead. I, I, um, probably like "Creep," maybe by Radiohead. I listen to that one a lot, but like, <laughs> I'm a little ashamed. Um.
0: That the level of shame is determined by the volume.
1: I'll <laughs> tell you
0: that. Do you believe in ghosts?
1: No, no, I do not.
0: When they make the movie "Breakfast with an Alcoholic," and they will, who do you think should play you in the movie?
1: I mean, obviously, Mark Ruffalo would be a great choice, but I think that's too easy. So probably, like, Michael Sarah would be the, the right one. Um. <laughs> Those are
0: two excellent choices. Uh, what is the best song by the band Wang Chung?
1: So I'm going to date myself here and say, who is that?
0: Well, obviously, that's <laughs> a wrong answer. <laughs> you'll you'll find out when the liner notes come out. Um, are you more afraid of the Terminator movies coming true or the Planet of the Apes movies coming true?
1: I think Planet of the Apes, like that, that the movies themselves freak me out, like more, much more than the Terminator movies. I have a much more visceral reaction to them. So, yeah.
0: thank you so much for saying that. I um, that was a formative thing. And at the Astro movie theater in Iowa City in the 1970s, they would do the Planet of the Apes film festival every year. So you'd see like was it all five or all six? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, a terrifying. That world terrifying.
1: is terrifying, yeah. and they ma- they keep making new ones. It's like stop making them. We're scared. I know. You you know? know.
0: The very first one, you go a full thirty minutes before you see any monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite alcoholic in history? Oh
1: God. Um, I mean, the easy answer is like Bill W. Right? Like I can, I can do that one, and that's like the teacher's pet answer. Um, I like Ulysses S. Grant. I think I think he was he was pretty great. Uh, yeah, go with him.
0: All right. You know, you just won the alcoholic lightning round. <laughs> that that is the magic answer. Ulysses S. Grant, I think, is the number one alcoholic in history. I think Noah, maybe yeah. number two. <laughs> number two. Do you have yeah. to give He's Noah props?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> but seriously, Ulysses S. Grant yeah. saved the freaking union. Yep. Yeah. Huge alcoholic. Huge alcoholic, yeah. Um, John it was so great to have you on Breakfast with an Alcoholic and we're going to tell everyone that we can think of to read your book Lessons and Carols when it comes out uh, in May and it's from Erdman's Publishing so thank you for being on Breakfast with an Alcoholic
1: thank you this is a real treat.
0: well that's another episode of Breakfast with an Alcoholic and I hope you enjoyed it In fact, I hope you enjoyed it so much that you subscribe. And to make that easy, I put a button down there. You can just push it and make it happen. Go ahead, I'll wait. (laughs) Cool. When you subscribe, you get the daily gratitude list, future episodes of Breakfast with an Alcoholic, the liner notes, the official discography for Breakfast with an Alcoholic, and so much more. The really great news? You can subscribe today for free. I mean, you're probably going to also be able to subscribe tomorrow for free, but wouldn't today be better? Also, I know it's Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's totally cool if you want to tell your friends about us. It's thanks F L M S. Thanks for Letting Me Share, on Instagram and Twitter. So subscribe, like, share, follow, and I'll be very grateful. On a serious note, if you need help or want to learn more, nyintergroup.org has a complete listing of AA resources in New York, and there's an intergroup site for every state and a lot of countries. If you want to ask us, we'll try to point you in the right direction too. So, that's it. You can look forward to the liner notes for this episode soon, and I'm already looking forward to the next breakfast with an alcoholic, and not just because there are likely to be pancakes involved. Until then, be well, stay groovy, go to a meeting and call your sponsor. Thanks for letting me share.